Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Now we have serious business to do today. You see, one of the first things God ever said to me when I started hearing from God was this. I remember sitting on my bunk in school, 200 level, and the Lord said to me, he says, the supposed wisest man that ever lived couldn't survive wrong marital choices. He was talking about Solomon. Don't think you will, Emmanuel. That's what the Lord told me. If the wisest man that ever lived could not survive making the wrong marital choices, he said, don't think you will, Emmanuel. But if you're going to get it right maritally, it's not going to be fun and games. You're going to have to war for it. You're going to have to war for it. And God has told us as a local assembly, this is one thing our church will be known for, strong marriages. It doesn't matter where you were when you found this ministry. From the point at which you found this ministry, your life must align in this area. Say loud amen if you believe. Yeah. And by the gyra intervention of God, it doesn't matter how long the error has lasted that you look at your entire lineage and you can't find one good marriage example. It begins with you. Amen. I said it begins with you. Amen. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Say amen like you believe. Amen. Say amen like you believe. Amen. Thank you, Father. Lord, in the name of Jesus. We know sometimes we don't even know how to ask. We don't even know what to seek. That's why we're not alone. You've given us your Holy Spirit. Lord, open our eyes. Teach us what love truly is. Give us the right perspective. Let us not call an enemy our friend. Let us not desire people who will destroy our lives. And for us, who are married, we embrace your wisdom. Amen. Not pop culture, but the wisdom of your word. Amen. And your wisdom has brought order to our lives. Amen. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. Say loud, amen. amen. All right, please be seated. Hallelujah. Glory be to Jesus. Well, how are you all doing? Glory to God. Now, my teaching for today is titled Green Light and Darkness. Green Light and Darkness. As I prepared this sermon, you know, I remember the word of Paul to Timothy where he said, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. Every preacher has a secret desire to preach well, and you know, when you're done, everybody's saying, Pastor, my God, you blew off the roof. You know, that was great, you know. And then social media is agog, you know, with 
commendations and all of that. Oh, that was amazing, you know. And they just go on and on like that. Everybody likes that. But listen, in the word of God, we see that we have a responsibility to preach what is right, whether people recognize it as good or not. What makes it good is that it is true. Are you listening to me? You see, when you are discipling people, you have to understand that many of the people you are discipling don't even know a good sermon, and that's no shade. People in church are at different levels of spiritual growth. So sometimes we don't even know what to desire. We don't know what to seek. We don't know what to want. When it comes to the subject of love, for instance, many people like, you know, an exciting sermon, tell us many stories, you know, and, and I don't know about you, but the way my mind works, I'm for bottom line, like at the end of this, how does this add to me? I am tired of Christians who are not improving on the subject of love. Like I said on, uh, on, on Wednesday, were you blessed by that sermon? Did you tell me? <laughs> Praise God. I got a lot of positive feedback. You know, from my experience, love is the hardest thing to teach. And I've seen time and again that you can be committed in church, committed, maybe in the workforce, even a pastor. And somehow, that contradiction in your romantic relationship is still there, such that People who know you in your house are wondering, how can you be so harsh to your kids, harsh to your spouse, and at the same time manage a pulpit ministry like this? I don't know how people pull it off, but they do. And when you see some believers quarrel, you know, someone was telling me about his former church. <laughs> So the chorus that was singing and didn't like how the mixing engineer was mixing the sound. So he just endured until the end of the song. And as soon as he dropped the mic like this, he ran upstairs and gave the guy a punch and decided to fight in a church. <laughs> and whether you have a story like that or, or not, you know, and you see, and when we give examples like this, we even have a propensity to say, wow, you know, but, but to some degree, that kind of behavior is existent in the lives of many people. And that's why on a day like this, one of the most important things that we must do is to renew our mind. There is something called recalibration. It's a physics term. You see, I started building technology. So I worked in a few sites, you know, for, for a while before the Lord called me to build lives. <laughs> Just like Abraham, he was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. So that's why, you understand? But anyways. <laughs> and one day working with my colleague, a co-engineer to the site, and we just see that the wall that the mason was erecting was slanted. And we couldn't, we couldn't believe. I mean, how can you possibly not notice that this is not straight? 
And so we called him. Did you use the spirit level to measure this? Someone is like, what is the spirit level? You, it's on the TV hanger of your TV. You know that green thing that looks like mercury and that bubble, all right? And you know that the hanger is straight when the bubble is in the middle. How, am I, how many of you know what I'm talking about? So uh, they use something like that when you're constructing fences. You just place it on it, and if the bubble is in the middle, you know that you have a straight line. So we called him, did you use your spirit level? And he said, yes, I did. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. No, you didn't, you know. And the person I was talking with who was more experienced said, I think I know what the problem is. Bring your spirit level. And then when he brought it, he tested the instrument to see if it was accurate and discovered the instrument was faulty. And you see, when I think of romantic relationships and marriages in this generation, that's the perfect picture that comes to mind. You see, our instruments for measuring marriage and relationship is wrong. I mean, terribly wrong. An average young man does not know who a husband is. An average young girl does not know who a wife is. And you know what's sad? We think we know. Let me just do a small population census and don't be embarrassed by this. If you had a crush in primary school, raise your hand. Keep your hand up. My hand is up too, so. <laughs> hey, one girl, she won't. If you like, laugh. Keep your hand up, please. If at that time, your older ones, your parents were telling you you are too young and you felt they were haters and they don't really know what you're capable of, you can handle it. Keep your hand up. If now you look back and you laugh at the silliness of it all, like you think you, that you were very silly and you actually didn't know nothing about love, keep your hand up. Thank you for your honesty. Put your hands down. You see, I said that to say this. You see, it's hard to persuade someone that they don't know about love. <laughs> because the media has portrayed a fickle image of love. That when you're carrying your book and it falls to the ground and as you're about to pick it, a guy wants to help you, he touches your hand and then everywhere freezes. Then there's music in the background and then your hair is blowing because all of a sudden breeze from nowhere. You know, after all, he that is born of the Spirit is like the wind, you know. Oh, oh, oh. Shook me, word. <laughs> and then the music is playing. You know. I like to do this because it's important. It might ruin your childhood fantasies, but I will ruin it. It's, it's important. When you remember all our childhood cartoons, the ones we really love, if you look at it with common sense, you realize that they are cringeworthy. They, they were very stupid. We loved it, but they were stupid. Think of Beauty and the Beast. No matter how you spin it, a young, beautiful girl fell in love with an animal. 
That's what happened. I know the story will say he was a human being and changed to an animal. Listen, when she fell in love, she didn't know he would change. True or false? There's a name for it. It's called bestiality. That's what it is. Think of Sleeping Beauty. That the prince went into the woods, saw a corpse. That's what it is. Was she dead? So what is, what do you call a dead person? <laughs> he saw a corpse. Beautiful corpse. And what did he do? There's a name for that also. It's called necromancy. It's, it's, it's a satanic... <laughs> At least I gave you heads up. I said I was ruining the memories. <laughs> and so we grew up on all that fickleness. And then we now think we know love. It doesn't have to make sense. Once it's tingly. <laughs> How do you know she's the one? When I see her, I forget my name. That's a mental problem. That's not love. <laughs> you should have yourself checked. That's, that's a mental problem. That's not love. So came to him, testing him and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? Is it lawful? And this was his response. The Bible says in verse 4, And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? Listen, this is instructive enough before I even go on. Listen, this is so powerful. So they have a question about marriage, specifically, specifically about divorce. And his immediate answer was, Have you not read the Bible? And so this teaches us something that when it comes to marriage, our first response, our first go-to place is the Bible. Listen, to be a believer means that you subscribe to the doctrine of the final authority of scriptures. God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Listen, the scripture has become my worldview. That's how I see life. You know how David put it? He said, in your light, I see lights. That's how David put it. C.S. Lewis was describing, you know, something that happened when he was in his farmland in the barn. And it was dark. But through the aluminum roof, there was a little hole. And because the sun was shining, there was a ray of light through that hole. And so he saw the ray of light. But not just that. Through the ray of light, he saw everything else in the room. Are you getting what I'm saying? So, when we see the light of God's word, it is not just meant for us to see it, but in that light, through that light, we see everything else. So that my perspective about marriage, about love, about dating, is from the light of God's word. In the U.S., the divorce rate is 50%. One out of two people will divorce. If two people get married the same day, one of them, statistically, 
will divorce. Guinness Book of World Record for shortest marriage is about 12 hours. <laughs> In Nigerian wedding culture, that means before the reception ended, <laughs> Talk about the disadvantage of a legal system that actually works. I'm not doing it again. You know I'm not doing? You're not doing. Sign here. Sign here. Over. They didn't even make it home. Yet, God doesn't say that your perspective about divorce should come from the news or from pop culture or from what is obtainable in your country. Jesus responded to the question on divorce this way. Have you not read? Come on, are you with me? And then he goes on to explain the Bible concept of marriage and how deep it is. He said, what God has joined together, let no man... Put us on that. You know, when he was done, and this is how you know you have understood the Bible concept of marriage and what is obtainable and what is required, you will respond the way these people responded. When he was done explaining, you know what the disciples said? They said, if that's the case, it's better for nobody to marry. Let me tell you this. The more you grow in your understanding of the Bible requirement of a man and a woman in marriage, the less the Godwin. You see, this Godwin generation, they don't know what marriage is about. They're thinking Romeo and Juliet, which I hope you know is another stupid story, right? Yeah. <laughs> At least we agree on that one. Are you in Matthew 19? Look at verse 10. It says, his disciples said unto him, if such is the case of the man and his wife, it is better not to marry. Better. When you understand Bible marriage, you understand it's hard work. And the more experience I have, the less bothered I am when I see a guy or a girl who is not married. Let me tell you something. It's not exactly, it's not a problem at all if you remain single. It's not. Are you listening to me? Are you listening to me? So we must abominate this idea that makes us see a guy or a girl in his or her 30s and think, you know, ah, but they are faithful now. God, what happened? We think something is missing. It's not a biblical idea. That's culture. That's pressure. And it's that kind of satanic pressure that has pushed people to embrace the wrong people as spouses. Are you listening to me? It's that kind of idea that will make a woman that has turned to a punching bag in the home to still stay. Because what will people say? We just create pressure for other people because of wrong ideas. Marriage is not a status symbol. Oh, I'm done with my education. I have my master's degree. I have a job. 
What next? Marriage. It's not a trophy. It's not a status symbol. It's not a promotion. If you're married, good for you. It doesn't make you better than a single person. It doesn't. Listen, it doesn't mean marriage is not good. It just doesn't make you better. And if someone, for some reason, has not found a person who fits the biblical definition of his spouse and chooses to stay single, it is better. This is the first picture we see in the Bible. I taught this last year. The Bible said, when God said, read your Bible carefully, when God said it's not good that man should be alone, I will make a help meet for him. The next thing God did was surprising. He didn't make Eve. When he says, I'll make a help meet for him, what did he do? He formed animals and brought them to Adam to see what he will call them. Does that mean God expected Adam to pick an animal? No, he expected the man to know what is called class consciousness, which is a very important aspect of choosing a spouse. And so the Bible says Adam gave a name to all the animals, but for Adam was not found a help suitable. Then God caused a deep sleep to, form, to call, fall upon Adam and from his rib made a woman and brought him to Adam to see what he would call her. And then Adam said, this is bone of my bone. He was saying that in contrast to the animals. Now you're talking. When Adam said no to all the animals, he didn't know there was going to be another option. They didn't have that conversation. He didn't have that conversation with God, meaning he was ready to be single than to end up with an animal. Unfortunately, many people today <laughs> have ended up with animals. Hey, you have a snake in your home. You have a lion in your home. You have a dog in your home. No wonder there are many snakes in the WCs these days. Maybe, just maybe it's related. Anyway, let's get back. Enough playing. But hey, hey, listen. When the disciples of Jesus said, if this be the case, it's better that we shouldn't, we shouldn't marry. What do you think Jesus said? You would have thought he would say, ah, don't worry, I don't talk like that now. Uh -uh. It's hard, but just try. Jesus' response will shock you. Are you ready to say it? In verse, <laughs> in verse 11, when they said, ah, it's good, let nobody marry then. He said, well, not all can accept this saying. <laughs> but only those to whom it is given. Yeah, well, this is deep, but not everybody's ready for that conversation. And then he began to talk about eunuchs. He says, for there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb, and there were eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there were eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. Three reasons people may not get married. He went on to tell them that. <laughs> Are you with me? 
But you and I know most of you are not eunuchs. So, <laughs> so now, even if marriage is difficult, let's embrace what the Word of God has to say about this. Let me tell you this. I want to give you the best advice on marriage. What I'm about to share with you should normally cost a million dollars, but I'm your pastor. I love you. So I'll share with you. Are you ready? First and foremost, it's not marry your friend, even though that's a good concept, an okay concept. It's not even that husbands should love their wives, even if the Bible instructs that, and I'm coming to that. It's not even that wives should submit to their husbands. The best marriage advice is found in Galatians chapter 5. Turn your Bibles there, everybody. This is the best marriage advice. And I will tell you why it is. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16. Everybody, read together Galatians 5, 16. Loud as you can. One, two, go. Read it again. One, two, go. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the loss of the flesh. Pastor, what does this have to do with marriage? Everything. Let me tell you this. In 2006, you know, I, I was in a conference and a love coach was speaking. And this love coach, you know, had made a reputation for giving people principles, practical principles for love, marriage, dating, do's and don'ts and all of that. And now he was telling a story of how one of his disciples, his protégés, was in a moment of vulnerability and forgot all that he thought. So he was asking her, didn't you remember? He said, Pastor, the moment, <laughs> in that moment I forgot. I mean, you think the people who fight in marriages don't know fighting is bad? You think they don't know? Some of you who had or maybe have relationships where you quarrel often. Hasn't it happened that you, you say, okay, you know what? Let's not quarrel again. From now on, you say, in fact, going forward, if she says this one, I will respond like this. Maybe I'll just say, peace, peace. <laughs> and then in the heat of the moment, it didn't play out the way you rehearsed it. Has it happened before or not? <laughs> what many people are trying to tackle is not the cause, it's the effects. If you don't like anger in your relationship, anger is the effect, not the cause. You should go for the cause, not the effects. And that's why it's not going to work. Picture a tree. You want to eliminate the tree. You don't want the tree in your compound anymore. Then what do you do? You start plucking the fruits. Is that how to get rid of the tree? <laughs> so now, the Bible is talking about the fruits of the flesh. If you're fighting the fruits, you're not going to get the job done. Are you listening to me? It's, that's the effect, not the cause. There is a root cause. There is something supplying the anger, 
there is something supplying the malice. There is something supplying the fornication. There is something. It's called flesh. You know what Paul said? In Romans chapter 7, verse 19, he says, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. I have discovered, verse 21, this principle that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Listen, this is the root cause of quarrels in marriage. And so you can read many intellectual principles on how to do better in these aspects and it doesn't work. That's why it seems like many marriage seminars, respectfully, are a waste of time. They are good advice, but putting it to work is just hard. Yes or yes? You must understand. When it comes to love, you must tackle it from beyond an emotional realm. You must tackle it with your spirits. When we think of love, we think we love strictly from our emotions and with our body in marriage. But now he says the fruit of the spirit is love. So your spirit is capable of loving. And that's where love must come from. And so he tells you, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Check all we call fruits of the spirit. They are ingredients of a good marriage. Yes or yes? Do you want love in your marriage or not? What about joy? What about peace? Everything you want in a good marriage or relationship is in your spirits. It's in your spirits. You just never saw the connection. You just never saw the connection between a vibrant walk with God and a healthy home. It's in the interest of your marriage that you walk in the Spirit. It's in the interest of your relationship that you walk in the Spirit. If you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the loss of the flesh. What are the loss of the flesh? What are the first two things he mentioned? Adultery, fornication. Does walking in the Spirit in the flesh affect your relationship or not? Come on, answer me. Are you learning anything? So listen. Of all the things, the strategies that I can have for a happy home, a vibrant, godly relationship, if I make up my mind that every morning I wake up, my knees will hit the ground, I will spend quality time praying, fanning the embers of my spirit. All those anger and those things I've been trying to fight mechanically will die. I'm telling you the truth. Do you understand this? Now that's good marriage advice. And that's why you need to recalibrate. You see, many people have relegated the subject of marriage and relationship to sense knowledge. So when I talk about prayer, they don't get it. I remember when our marriage was still young, I was praying in the living room. And I'll be honest with you, you know, there was something I wasn't particularly pleased that my wife did. But I was praying. 
I will never forget this because that's where this revelation came from. I was praying, 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 praying. And when I was done, I was on my knees in the living room. As I opened my eyes, I saw our wedding picture on the wall. And I just looked at that woman and I was in love with her. It was as if a burden had been lifted. Why is it that Christian marriages have problems? Because many people pretend to have a prayer life but don't. <laughs> many people pretend to have a vibrant walk with God but don't. Just like one of the churches in Revelations, the, the, the prophecy was this. It says you have a reputation for being alive but you are dead. You can look alive and be dead. And so now it looks like a contradiction. Ah, these people are also having a problem. It's not a contradiction. Because the word of God is clear. If you walk in the spirit, you will not what? Uh -huh. That's an assurance. It says, for the flesh wars against the spirit. The spirit against the flesh. So that you will not do what you want to do. Meaning, you think, you exaggerate your, the control you have on your actions. You exaggerate the control you have over your actions. You will end up doing the bidding of the preeminent influence in your heart. Come on, are you getting this? So that's why I must recalibrate. When you now see the role that spirituality plays in your marriage, you want to go back to the beginning. Ah, I should have known. Marriage was not God's idea. It was God who said it is not good that man should be alone. Adam did not know he was lonely or alone. He couldn't have thought about that. He couldn't have thought about that. It would not occur to him. Could he have known that God can make someone else? Maybe, maybe not. It was God's idea. Marriage was not designed for a sensual man. Ah. <laughs> Marriage was designed for a man and a woman walking in the will of God. And so outside of God's influence, you're going to struggle. That's why when Jesus explained the requirements to his disciples, he said, ah, it's better not to marry. Don't dare think you can approach marriage, the Bible marriage, with your flesh. You cannot. You cannot. So now we must humble ourselves. We don't know as much about this as we claim. So let's go back to the word of God. See what the Bible says. You know, you know, the first thing that strikes me about the Bible description about marriage is that it's a mystery. A mystery is something concealed, something that needs explanation, meaning it's not as straightforward as we think. Boy meet girl, boy like girl, girl is speck, boy is speck. Okay, I love you, talk your own, let's move on. It, 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 listen, it seems... Basic, but it's not. 
verse 32 of Ephesians 5, he says, this is a great mystery. He calls marriage a mystery. Meaning if the person who designed marriage does not describe it to you and explain it to you, you won't get it. Let me tell you this. Just because two people are not quarreling in a home does not mean they are fulfilling God's mandate for marriage. <laughs> people who know very little about Bible marriage, they say, why is it that some Christian marriages are struggling and unbelieving marriages are happy? There are some struggling marriages that rank more in the sight of God than so-called happy marriages. <laughs> Conversation for another day. He said, marriage is a mystery. Huh? He says, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. That's what makes it a mystery. <laughs> that your marriage is meant to mirror the union between Christ and his church. It's meant to mirror the union between Christ, meaning you cannot understand marriage until you understand salvation. <laughs> if you think you understand marriage and you don't understand salvation, you are wrong. Marriage is meant to mirror the union between Christ and his church. And that's why you will understand that every advice God had in marriage was with reference to Christ. Husbands submit, um, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Meaning, if I don't know the Lord, I don't know what good marriage is. I might know how to buy roses and be romantic and say all the nice things, but I'm still missing the point. And what does God say to husbands? Verse 25, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved this church and gave himself for her. <laughs> Listen, oh God, everybody look at me. When people talk about the fact that the Bible asks women to submit and they have an issue with that, I want to scream at them and say, do you want to switch roles? I'll gladly switch roles. The reason why we don't see this instruction to have the gravity that it has is because we have a fickle picture of love. Husbands love your wives. That one is easy now. Is it not to buy rose? Is it not just to be saying, you know, saying nice things? Is it not? We don't get it. But when you realize, he says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, meaning, listen, this is how I know that I fit the model of a godly husband. I can die for her. In the romantic relationships in the world, that's an extreme love story, an extreme. But this is basic. In the kingdom. Let's switch roles. Let's switch. 
as Christ loved the church? How did Christ love the church? That's what an intelligent person will ask. You know what the Bible says? For God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Meaning, God never once considered the fact that we were not reciprocating his love at the beginning. He never considered that some of us will actually never receive his sacrifice. He did it anyway. He did it independent of our response. <laughs> Are you getting this? Yeah. Now, that's, do you know that the Bible does not say that if your wife does not submit, you stop loving? It says, this is not it for that. Love your wives as Christ loved, as surely as Christ loved. It's not about her. It's about Christ. And now you have received one chance. You have entered one chance because everything you could have complained about in the marriage, oh, sometimes she doesn't deserve it. All those things you received in salvation. You didn't deserve it. He loved you. He died for you. Now he says, do the same. So good luck explaining to him She's stubborn. You're stubborn too. She's unfaithful. You have been unfaithful many times. Don't you understand? Under the law, there are circumstances where divorce can be tolerated. But if Christ is my example, you're not ready for this. Now, there are extreme conditions. Let me tell you this. The Bible says, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, gave you a bill of divorcement, meaning that was not God's plan. So there are some things as it pertains to God's true, pure design for marriage that we cannot receive. That might not be practical, not because it's not the will of God, but because men are men. Humans are humans. Nevertheless, the standard of God stands sure. Have you read the book of Hosea? You want to learn to be a husband? Read the book of Hosea. <laughs> Hosea was a demonstrative prophet, meaning God wanted to demonstrate with his life and with his, with his life experiences who a husband should be and his love for the church. And so he says, Hosea, you're going to marry the most undeserving person. You, a religious Later, the symbol of morality in the society. Go to that red, narrow street where you shouldn't even be seen and pick Goma, the popular prostitute, as a wife. Now, this explains God's love for us in salvation. All right, so when picking a spouse, you must pick someone in Christ. So that's, this context is slightly different. Don't go and marry, um, <laughs> don't marry Karoshika, okay. <laughs> but now, one would think, ah, she'll be so grateful. He paid for her ransom, paid for her freedom, 
Now, she, I mean, she doesn't have to yield money to some guy who has control over her. She can live freely. She would think, oh, she'll be so grateful all her life and she's going to change and all of that. He brings her home, cleans her up. They have a home together, have kids together. And one day, he comes home. He searches the living room and she's not there. Searches the kitchen, she's not there. Searches all the rooms, she's not there. And he discovered upon investigation that she had returned back. Well, oh God, I tried. She's so irresponsible. Uh, anyway, we move. No! <laughs> Listen to me, men in the house. This is the word of the Lord to you. I wish I was joking. God said to him, you're going to go back again. She has submitted herself to the pimp again, so you will have to pay that money again. And then you're going to have to toast her afresh. You know, when you see her, you want to give her a headbutt. <laughs> but he said, God said, woo her again. Reassure her of your love and bring her back. See, this is why the disciples said it is better not to what? Because listen, this is the biblical picture of being a husband. You find someone who you will put before yourself forever. That's what it means. The Bible says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ, who did not consider equality with God an advantage to cling to. He stripped himself of his privileges. Let me tell you something. You can't be a godly husband without being vulnerable. You can't be an African man and a Bible Christian at the same time. There is, there is an African dimension to being a husband that is not biblical. You just come to the house. Everybody is dodging. You know, they, you know. Once they hear your horn, everybody disappears. And then his lordship is around. And we have come up with ungodly terms. Ungodly alpha male. Let me tell you this. <laughs> you know, I was talking to someone. <laughs> listen. Let me listen to me. You know where those terminologies came from? They came from animals. And let me tell you this. Animals even get it better than humans. So when you look at the pride of a lion, The female lion does almost everything, does even the hunting, does, and then the alpha male just, but do you know why he's an alpha male? Because when another lion or another animal comes to attack the pride, he has the responsibility to defend the entire pride. So the reason why they give him that respect is not just for the sake of it, it's because of the role he plays. Are you getting what I'm saying? So... Listen, in a home, there has to be more to your leadership than just, I'm in charge. They should be able to see your sacrifice and everything you bring to the table and willingly 
Not just because. Are you with me, somebody? Time is fast spent, so I'm going to have to wrap this, wrap this off. I'm still going to talk about women. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm coming. But I'm just going, I'm going to wrap up this way. I heard a theologian say something that you may or may not agree with. That's up to you. But it does appear very compelling. When you read Genesis 3, there is a part of the story that possibly never made sense to you. Okay, quite all right. Eve was deceived by the serpent and was foolish enough to eat the fruit. What about Adam? It was like that story didn't add up. She ate the fruit and gave to Adam. <laughs> Guy, you know what's up? So, how did she give it to Adam? The serpent deceived her. Did she deceive Adam? The Bible doesn't say so. Did the serpent deceive Adam? The Bible clearly tells us, the last verse of 1 Timothy 2, it says it was the woman who was deceived, not Adam. Adam was not deceived. And that suggests that he ate that fruit knowing fully well what he was entering into. Because if he did not eat the fruit, he had eternal life, the woman didn't. She would have just died with time and then God will make another woman. So, don't forget, the first Adam was a picture of Christ. So, this was what he did. If she's going to die, I will die with her. Now, that's subjective. The Bible didn't categorically explain it that way. But it's very compelling. Very compelling. Because the Bible clearly tells us that Adam was not deceived. Come on, are you with me? And that's biblical manhood. A man went to a counselor, said, the spark is gone. The spark is gone. I don't feel anything for her anymore. The counselor said, the Bible doesn't say you should fall in love. It says love your wife. There's a difference. Go home and love your wife. Well, when you put it that way, if, I'm, if I'll be honest with you, we're not really living like a couple like that anymore. We're not really living like a couple. She's just... We, 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 I just haven't moved out, but we just mind each other's business. It's just like my neighbor. Well, the counselor said, the Bible says, love your neighbor. Ah, okay, I see what you did there, counselor. But if I'm honest, even neighbor, she doesn't really qualify, you know. I see, see I, I just feel like she's just there. My neighbors are even nicer to me. Well, the Bible says, just go home and love her as a woman in Christ, as a sister in Christ. Ah, I won't call her a sister. My sister won't treat me. My sister has never spoken to me the way this woman speaks to me. She acts like we're enemies. Well, the Bible says, love your enemies. 
Let me tell you this. Let me just summarize all I've said. When you were a sinner, Christ died for you. And now, you will never have an excuse not to love your spouse. Never. Never. You know what the Bible says? And this will bring me to what I'm about to say about um, women and submission also. You know what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 16? This particularly was referring to people who were already married as unbelievers, then got born again. So now you're born again, your spouse is not born again. What do you do? You know what the Bible says? As precarious and as difficult as that situation will be, he says, for how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? So now he's saying, by your continuous good conduct, the person can see the light. So the Bible expects your attitude and your character to be consistent, whether the person responds or not. And that's why you better choose right. <laughs> because by Bible definition, once you enter, <laughs> they have thrown the padlock away. I know the past tense of throw is throwed. I just said that on purpose. Hallelujah. Now let's come to the woman. <laughs> Please, are you ready? Well, the Bible says in season and out of season. So if you don't respond, well, the Bible says women or wives submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. And the first thing I just want to say is <laughs> you can spin this around as much as you want. The Bible says what it says. Are you listening to me? I've heard a thousand and one attempts to twist. You know, I was with a lady who... I actually care about and respect. And she said, because I grew in a Catholic background, I have access to the originals. You know, sometimes some people don't know that even though I have a very simple manner of communicating, I'm a self-taught theologian. <laughs> I, know, I actually know Bible. So you say, I have access to the original. And the Greek word translated submit doesn't actually mean submit. It means friendship. I say, hypostaso. I say, let's open it. I say, no. <laughs> Even if you don't know the Greek, look at what the verse says. Wives, submit to your own husband's how? Speak loud. Let me hear you. Your voice is, your voice is low now. Speak loud. One, two, go. So listen, if you think this means mutual submission, it means you have mutual submission, you and Christ. So, number one reason why he wasn't talking about mutual submission is because he said, as unto the Lord. Number two, the Greek word hypostaso doesn't by any stretch mean mutual submission. It's a military term used to differentiate ranks. And in military... The person who has more rank than you is not because he's necessarily better than you. It's just the way the military structure works. For order, there are ranks. 
And so it's not because the husband is better than you. That's just God's order. Just the same way you have a boss in the office. And sometimes he's wrong, but he's your boss. And if he's a smart boss, he's going to get your advice as often as possible. But when it all comes down to it, uh, the final decision will be made by him. And if he was wrong eventually, you don't make him lose the decision. Don't make him look, look stupid because of that. That's just how the trust works. Hupostaso actually means subordinate. But not in a subjugation manner. Not because you are less intelligent. No. It's just for roles, the way roles should work in a marriage. I'm going to come to why if we have time, but you just have to see that this is what it means. Now, the next two reasons I will give you this, um, this morning as I begin to round off, when the pastor says that, it means very little. But <laughs> in Bible interpretation, there is a way, two ways to understand the text. Number one, corroboration. Say corroboration. Meaning... The Bible says, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, every truth shall be what? Meaning you cannot establish a doctrine of mutual submission from one verse. There must be another verse or two other verses that talk about it. Are you with me? So let's look at all the places where the Bible talks about women and their roles in marriage. Colossians chapter 3 verse 18 and 19. 1 Peter chapter 3 from verse 1 and 2. 1 Corinthians 11.3. You know what 1 Corinthians 11.3 says? It says, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of the wife is the man. How's that for mojo? There's, see, we can talk about what the Bible means. The problem is when people see submit, they think about the dysfunctional African marriages that they see. What comes to their mind is not Bible example. They see African marriages. Are you with me? But the first thing is you have to understand it says what it says. Amen, somebody. So, to the, so the church at Colossae, it says wives submit. Peter in 1 Peter 3 said wives submit. Claire. And then to the church at Corinth, so there is no doubt. Christ is the head of the man. And the man, this is not, a, this is not patriarchy. It says women submit to your own husband. So one egocentric man on the street trying to boss you around is not doing what the Bible says. Are you getting what I'm saying? The Bible is not saying women should be subjugated to all men. He's talking about to a, your husband. Come on, is that clear? It's very important to understand this. Next. So why is it that before he says, wives submit to your own husbands, verse 21 says, submitting yourself one to another in the fear of God. That's where the misunderstanding comes. And I'm going to explain it to you. First and foremost, to explain this, let's see how the same author preached the same thing to the church at Colossae. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, as fast as possible. Colossians 3, from verse 18. It says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be bitter towards them. Verse 20, 
Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Verse 22, bond servants, obey in all things your masters. So what's he doing here? He's teaching submission as it pertains to every context of God's design. There is submission between a child and his parents. There is, a, there is submission between servants and their masters. There is submission between wife and husband. So he gave all those contexts back to back. And so when you come to Ephesians chapter 5, you see the exact same thing. When he says, submit yourselves one to another, he wasn't talking to everybody in general. He was talking to the designs of submission. So he first started with wives. Open your Bible so that you see this. You need to see this yourself. So in verse 22, he's explaining verse 21. In verse 22, he says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now go to chapter 6, verse 1. What does he say? Everybody, chapter 6, verse 1, want to go. Come and read together with me, want to go. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment. All right. Look at verse 5, chapter 6, verse 5. One, two, go. Born servants, be obedient to those. So when he said one to another in chapter 5, verse 21, he was referring to parents and children, husbands and wives, masters and servants. If he meant mutual submission, when he was talking about masters and servants, he said he would have said submit to each other. He didn't say that. When he was talking about husbands and wives, he would have said submit to each other. He did not say that. When he was talking about parents and children, he would have said submit to each other. He did not say that. So when he said to one another, the context was specific. And it's a rule of interpretation. You read the pretext and the post-text text to get the context. So one to another has a context here. And I just defined it. Now, someone says, well, how can I? First and foremost, I say and I say again, the Bible requirement for a husband is more difficult. Let me tell you this. If you're a man here and your wife has to beg for attention, you are not pleasing God. Listen, it's not a romantic thing to do. It's a Bible thing to do. Are you listening? It says, as Christ." Loved the church and gave himself for her that he might wash her with the cleansing of water by the word and present her to himself. Meaning, all the things you don't like in the wife, correct it. Nourish her. Use love to bring out the best. Are you getting what I'm saying? And then the same thing when it comes to submission. Christ is the example. I mean... Jesus was teaching on leadership one day. He said the Gentiles, the unbelievers, this is their perspective of leadership. They lord it over people. He says, but not you. He says, he that will be great in this kingdom must be the servant. Are you getting what I'm saying? Must be the servant. Do you believe the word of God or not? And this Jesus led by example. He left his holy throne where the cherubs went round him Every night and every day, if there was night and day there. 
He took on the form of a servant for your sake. Laid down his life for your sake. In fact, before he died, you know, to prove and to teach this example, he got a basin of water, began to wash his disciples' feet. That's the Bible picture of greatness, of leadership. The world has tried to portray submission as something that is weak, something that requires subjugation. It's a lie. There are many things that ungodly men try to do to their women. That's not the submission the Bible is talking about. It's not subjugation. And it doesn't make you weak. It makes you strong. And Jesus has led by example. The same way the man cannot possibly look at God and give any excuse for not loving his wife. You can never look at God and give any excuse for not submitting. If he laid his life down for you, submitted himself to the will of God on your behalf, what then is your excuse? And that's why he didn't say, submit to your husband because he deserves it. He says, submit to your husband as unto the Lord, meaning for Christ's sake. And when you understand that Christ did the same for you, it won't be so much of a burden. You dare not receive the unmerited love of Christ and refuse to give unmerited love. That's not part of the contract. You would have read the terms and conditions. But well, you are in. No going back. Amen, somebody. Amen. Come on, I said amen, somebody. Amen. And by the way, <laughs> you think submission is weak? Nothing disarms a man like submission. Are you with me? Did you hear what I said? If you want influence, learn this. You think if you submit, ask Delilah. Think about Samson. They couldn't stop Samson. 1,000 soldiers couldn't stop Samson. 2,000 soldiers couldn't stop Samson. They tried everything. And then one woman... One woman, are you listening to me? It was, as, it was like jazz. How can a woman ask you, what is the secret of your power? And then the next morning, that, what she thought was the secret, she did it to you. And then she will ask you again, and you still, do you understand? You still trust her. Submission is like kryptonite to Superman. <laughs> you, don't, you don't understand. You think you... When you submit to your husband, he will yield his power, his influence to you. He will yield it. Samson, Sam. Uh, <laughs> Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. What I'm about to say, I hope you will understand my heart because I don't know how to explain this. The devil is playing a very dangerous game with the church. The things that wives are revolting against have created an opportunity for side chicks. Yes or yes? We, listen, I'm not talking about my personal position. I'm talking about just from collation of data. Look at the memes you see around. I saw a meme. Um... 
Jerry, can you come and meet me? And, and the lady says, I'm busy, I'm this, I'm this. And then, side chick, can you come and meet me? And it was raining. And you see her jumping over. Did you see that meme? So on one hand, I went like, ah, why would they say that? On the other hand, I was just like, oh my God. And listen, I counsel people. That's why you wonder why a man who has not given his wife 100,000 before will give another, million, another woman 1 million. And many times, the side chick is not finer than the wife. It now looks like jazz. Submission is jazz, though. It's jazz. Because, because now, this market as is portrayed, you are not ready for this. Let me tell you this. As a child of God, I want you to trust God. The person who wrote these rules is not some chauvinist, this is God who loves us. And if we go about marriage the Bible way, we will please God and everyone will be happy. I want you to go home, study this. I don't have enough time. Study this. Forget what everybody is saying. Open your Bible. Check different translations. Read it carefully. I want to assure you if you choose to do marriage the Bible way, it will change your life. And so since I read this about women, if everybody stand to your feet. Please, did you learn anything? Listen. Remember what I told you? You can't do it except God helps you. You can't. Open 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. It's important I say this since I said that the man must love consistently no matter the response he gets. And I want you to see that the Bible says the same thing about the woman. 1 Peter 3, 1. Please read together loud as you can. 1, 2, go. Read it again, one, two, go. The person who designs marriage is telling you that it's so powerful. Your role is so powerful. If you do what he asks you to do, that person that you are with, that same devil that you claim to have married can change. Listen, there are extreme cases. If the person is beating you, my answer forever is come out. He's not a believer. She's not a believer. I'm saying she because women beat husbands. Well. Don't, don't play. <laughs> so, we'll be preaching the person from outside. Uh-huh. And then if the person changes, he will come back. But when it all comes down to it, listen, we're talking about the power of the gospel. Don't dare believe that the gospel could change you, but it can't change that person. And so when you both decide to do it as unto the Lord, 
you will see the power of God at work in your lives. Just pray in the spirit right now. With man it's impossible, but not with God. For with God nothing shall be impossible. In the kingdom, camels go through the eyes of needles every day. It's a norm. It's a norm. It's a norm. It's a norm. Did he not say that he has taken the stony heart out of your flesh and given you a heart of flesh? You can love like Christ. You can submit. His wisdom is at work in you. His wisdom is at work in you. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. And when people see you, they will change their mind about the hopelessness of marriage. Because God will make you an example. The mirror between Christ and his church. He has made you an example. 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 In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Renew your mind. Choose to go about this marriage idea the Bible way. Let me tell you something. There are many ungodly approaches to marriage, to parenting. And before I drop the mic, listen to this. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 7, read it when you get home, that he advises that you should even be single so that you can do the work of God well. Because once you get married, you begin to care for things of the world. That means even ministry. God says, when you are married, you must put marriage first. You must put your children first. Even ministry will not be good enough excuse not to train your children. That's what the Bible says. Many people are going about ministry and they think they are pleasing God. They leave children at home and that's why pastor's children have a bad reputation now. That's not the Bible idea. Go and read it well. It says, because he that is married must care for the affairs of his home. So I said that to say this. If in the Bible, even ministry should not stand in the way of training your children, how much more your job? Let me tell you this. Work hard so that you can control time. So that you can be a husband and a wife the Bible way. This culture where husband and wife are busy, then we outsource parenting to strangers. We get maids to train our children. That's why many children are dysfunctional. Many of them are abused because you were not there. That's not the Bible way. And listen, when you embrace the possibility in your mind, God, 
I must see whatever resource you want to give me, whatever job you want to give me, must give me the opportunity to be there for my children. Listen, I want to be there. I must be a present father, a present mom. They must know me. We must be close. Cartoons will not mentor my children more than me. I must raise them up in the way of the Lord. Sit them down. I must pray with them. Ask them how was school. I must be committed. I must know who their friends are. Don't sell your soul. Not every... Listen, that's why the Bible advised you. You can stay single. It's an option. Don't bring children to the world and leave them alone. As long as you have children, it is not every career opportunity you can take. Are you listening to me? It might offer more money. If you will not be present, it is not God's will for you. It is not God's will for you. If you have children, you must be present. You must be present. That's why many young ladies are vulnerable. They can't understand why they are searching for affection. Because that male presence, the space that a father should have filled is there, is just there, void in their hearts. They can't understand what is happening. And when anybody, any guy just tells them, I love you, even if they know he's lying, they can't understand why they just want to trust and believe. It must change in your day. If you're, see, you must decide not to repeat the mistake of your parents. If they made those mistakes, some, some, some parents are so naive. You can be a good Christian and be naive. You don't know about parenting. You bring house helps in the, into the house. You are not watching them. They are sleeping with your children. Some of us will bring relatives to help them. We are sending them to school giving them a better life, you bring them from the village, and how do they pay you back? They abuse all your children. I know they are at fault, but you are also at fault. How could you allow that happen under your roof? A good husband is suspicious. You are not listening to me. You monitor everything. As they are going up, you know your children are up, you follow. Are you listening to me? You follow. Why is the light off? Why are you alone here? Why are you giggling? What are you? Is African parents are clueless. A child that was expressive suddenly became quiet. You didn't ask why. When they are bold enough to say, Uncle so and so abused me, you might even flog them and say, Don't say, What is wrong with you? A lady came to our church, heard the sermon like this, came to my wife weeping and said, I have to tell you this, my father abuses me. Ah, does your mom know? No, she doesn't. So my mom, my wife prayed about it, booked a meeting with the woman, said, listen, I know God will give you the wisdom, I've prayed, but I just wanted to tell you this. This is what is happening. I'm telling you for the sake of your daughter. She said, thank you very much. When she got home, she looked at the girl and said, you must never go to that church again. You will answer to God. 
If you like, build churches around the world. If you fail on this one thing, you will answer to God. Do you know what the Bible says? It says, if you cannot keep your home, you, you are not qualified to have a church. That's what it says. So you must, if you need to cancel meetings, cancel it. You must be there for your children. That's what the Bible says. You must be there. But we, we, we have embraced this ungodly, flashy lifestyle. We are competing. We want to drive what everybody is driving. So even if our, our family is crying for attention, we don't care. You are getting more money. You have sold your soul. So at some point, we have to decide whether we want to do this thing the Bible way or not. I think the Lord made me say this. Two more minutes. Just close your eyes. Talk to the Lord and say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I embrace your wisdom. I embrace your wisdom. No matter how popular these opinions on marriage, on career are, I embrace your wisdom in the name of Jesus. I embrace your wisdom in the name of Jesus. I embrace your wisdom. I embrace your wisdom. This word, oh, I will do it. This one, this instruction. Maybe you gave me this instruction for a reason. You gave me this instruction for a reason. You are here. Your parents made these mistakes. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I will not repeat this mistake. My children will have a different experience. I make this promise. 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 I make this promise, make this promise. Make this promise in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Ah, Father, in the name of Jesus, we know you have never asked us to do anything that you have not empowered us to do. Your word says it is God who works in us to will and to do. Lord, all your instructions that we have received today were empowered to do. Yeah. And that word you gave us, that this church will be known for strong homes, fulfill it in the name of Jesus. Yeah. We align with prophecy. We align. We align. We align. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, Reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings.